Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to a special bonus Champions League edition of the Rabona podcast. I am Musa Kwonga, joined by Ryan Hun. Michael De Silva is indisposed. Probably asleep. <laughs> We're doing this straight <laughs> after the games. Everyone else is asleep. Everyone else in this corner of Berlin as we broadcast from Rabona Towers. It's the Night Owl special. Indeed it is. And let's get straight into it. Fortified by coffee. <laughs> Starting with Manchester United against Barcelona. United defeated 1-0, but not unbowed at Old Trafford. No, man. But I don't think that's a terrible result. It's a good result. Oh, no, they're not a good result. No, it's a fair result. And in the context of both the team's seasons, mm. I think it's, yeah, it's absolutely fine. Barcelona were below par. Um, they lacked dynamism. That was partly due to the tactics because Coutinho, unfortunately, Philippe Coutinho was as disappointing as many onlookers feared, including Barcelona fans. And they lacked width Barcelona throughout and pace which they've done away from home, weirdly enough, quite a few times in the late stage Champions League under Valverde. But very solid, 1-0 win. Never really got out of third gear, I would say. But that yeah, was also I mean, credit to United. I think the key part of that game was midfield and starting yeah. McTominay was a really good call, I think, from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I think his, yep. his dynamism and his energy in the middle of midfield for United, I think meant that that United midfield never really felt like it was getting overran. This is a common theme with them, though. When they start McTominay over Matic in big matches, he has not just the legs, but the positional sense. And I think the perceptiveness, you know, when the ball is breaking to intercept, to anticipate, and also to initiate the play, the forward play. Yeah, well, I think, I think Barcelona's poorest player on the night was probably Sergio Busquets. And I don't think that's any fluke that that was to do with McTominay being really busy in midfield hurrying yeah. around pushed higher up United pressed really well I think so yeah but also Barcelona did have well they attempted something like over 800 passes well they made 731 passes according to Statzone compared to United's 325 so wow. they made over they attempted over 800 passes and had a pass completion rate of almost 91% I mean I kind of wrote a tweet about there was something on the commentary on BT Sports saying that Barcelona were really, really sloppy. And I don't know, I just didn't really buy that. I didn't think it was that kind of hyperbolic, you know. Do you know what it reminded me of a little bit? is Bayern's performance against Liverpool at Anfield, of which I was very critical, but then acknowledging that Bayern were playing a very particular role 
I was disappointed with Tiago in that tie, but Tiago, as others pointed out, who are actually far more qualified than me to speak on this, Tiago was brilliant in yeah, that limited role. doing a little different role. In the limited role, yeah. Mm. And I felt it should be more ambitious. Do you know what I think it is, actually? And I'm going to kind of come maybe with a bit of a scorcher. It's not really a scorcher. It's just so timid. Go on, scorcher. It's such way. a timid take. Scorcher way. But I think a lot of the times you notice when, especially in the UK commentary of Champions League games with clubs that aren't UK teams. Yeah. And this is just a bit of a hunch. I think they're hoping to see the very, very best of those players like Lionel Messi that they don't see week in, week out. So when they don't perform at these majestic levels, it's something, oh, something's up. or Oh God, they're sloppy. Whereas actually... No, give United credit where it's due. And it's not always their fault for being poor. You know, Lionel Messi is not going to be able to perform at the level that he does every single week when he has, when as soon as he gets the ball, he has three players around him in the quarterfinal of the Champions League. They're not playing a pub side. Yeah. You know, it's like credit United for doing well. Yeah, Barcelona weren't great, but they were nowhere near as bad as they were kind of getting slated for on the commentary. And like the guy had his nose broken. And he had an incredibly narrow configuration ahead of him. You didn't have Malcolm ahead of him or Dembele. He made the goal. Was played well, <laughs> exactly. And he played some unbelievable passes, especially in the second half. Uh, he made some really great ones in the first half as well. So yeah, I don't know. I think it was just it was one of those. I think United did their job really well. Right. They stopped Barcelona from getting too far out in front. They kept in the tie. I think Barcelona maybe felt a little bit rattled. Maybe didn't expect United to press them as high or as efficiently as they did. And that's right. Could have had an equaliser actually with a Diego Dallo. Yeah, um, definitely. So, you know, lots of room for optimism. Uh, and I think the good thing about Solskjaer afterwards was that he struck, I think, the right tone. There was an element of, you know, there was some happiness with what had gone right, but there was also a disappointment. I think that's really important for United to have a manager. You know, Solskjaer may be the right person, the long term may not be. But the point is this, at this stage... He is not only saying, but I think doing all the right things. Mm. Tactically, there's not really much you could have faulted him for. The goal went in early, but after that, United regrouped really well, I thought. Yeah, I mean, the main regret, is, I think he mentioned it after, was that United didn't have a shot on target all game, yeah. which I think was at home, I think a bit disappointing. And actually, if I was going to, I don't want to be too critical of United because I think they did really well. I think the main criticism I would point out was down the right-hand side, actually. I think Ashley Young attempted something like 12 crosses or 13 crosses in the game. I don't think he completed one. That to me, and there will probably be some way more qualified coaches out there that can correct me on this, so please do. But if United are pressing Barcelona in the way that they were, then when they did have the ball, it seemed to me to be a bit of a waste just to attempt crosses. Destabilising that midfield and especially putting pressure on then keeping the ball on the floor and playing through, especially when you have people like Rashford and Lukaku on the pitch and Pogba in a number, well, an eight or a 10 role. I just thought that was a real, they weren't as efficient when they had the ball as they could have been. I thought they made quite poor decisions with the ball a lot of the time. A right back without standing delivery changes that team. Yeah, I mean, you saw it for for Liverpool as a prime example, you know, when they have fullbacks who can cross the ball like that, we were bigging up DJ Andy Robertson. (laughs) But yeah, they're still definitely in the tie. They are, they are. You know, I mean, Barcelona were well out ahead in front against Roma last year. And the trauma is still there. Yeah, I mean, the only difference is obviously that they're now at home. I don't think United have beaten Barcelona at the new camp ever. Is that apparently a thing? I think that's what they said. Oh, Solskjaer has but, got you know, history. He's got form at the new camp, so we'll see. Do you want to go to, to the to the new camp 
under the leadership of the guy who scored oh, gosh. that goal. <laughs> oh my god, it's going to be unbearable, isn't it? Man United social media that next week is going to be unbearable. It's going to be insert kiss that- fingers emoji. <laughs> <laughs> chef's kiss <laughs> um, so yeah I mean I don't think it was a game to make massively sweeping courts I thought United did well I thought yeah. Barcelona could have been better that's it end of the podcast thanks for listening everyone. yeah yeah enjoy <laughs> <laughs> sorry no it's all good it's all no, good it's, all it's, good. All, it's a bit of late night nuance is it <laughs> late night nuance we should call it that we it's should a call new, it a new chilled compilation that we're going to do the chill cast <laughs> Welcome to Jazz FM's Football Nuance podcast. <laughs> Do you know what? The scary thing is that would actually go viral. If we did a jazz podcast. I'm pretty sure I've got a cord blazer knocking around some <laughs> cigarette holder. Oh my goodness. Uh, should we move on to the other game? To, oh yeah, yeah. Let's get... Ajax Juventus. Ajax Juventus, yeah. We managed to simultaneously watch two games at once and then re-up on the highlights of some of the bits we missed straight after. Ajax, love Ajax. Can I say before we do that, it's really hard to watch two football games at once. Yeah, it is very hard. <laughs> My eyes. <laughs> very hard. Uh, we managed. Um, Ajax, really just impressively resilient. Missed a couple of good opp- early opportunities mm. and went a goal down. Cristiano scored. It was a very good um, finish from him. I think uh, it was interesting, actually, when he scored the goal. He should have been tracked, you said, by Frankie de Jong. Yeah, I, should have, I think de Jong yeah, should, have, should have tracked. What's impressive about the run, the movement, is that the cross actually is hit fairly early. Mm. So when the ball's travelling for quite a distance, so he's making this sort of diagonal run very, very sharp. And if you look at it, he almost arrives at almost at sort of 90 degrees the ball, which is a very difficult run to mark. And so when he makes the header in the end, the Ajax keeper... I think is actually almost anticipating a slightly better angle on the header um, and therefore doesn't make the best effort at the save. But, I mean, that is just textbook movement. Well, I say textbook, but very few forwards can move with that elusiveness <clears throat> in the area. Yeah, and also I think the where the ball was placed is that sweet spot, that channel. Yeah, it was just, a, it's, it's kind difficult. of too, it's too far for, for Anana to come out there. Do you know what it's like? It was like the Bergkamp to Jungberg. You know yeah. when Bergkamp would deliver the ball in behind the fullback, well, yeah. the centre-back on the heels, and Jungberg would make the very steep run. So then the centre-back's in this terrible position of having to watch two directions at once, turn the head twice, mm. and that was it. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, maybe it's a little bit too critical to say maybe Anana could have done better, but... I think he was anticipating a better header and I think you're right. I think once, it's, you know, it was like... Just a keeper of that quality as well, I thought he maybe and managed to get a hand to it. It but. reminded me of those penalty shootouts when the shootout actually is not hit that well mm. and the keeper's expecting it to go right in the corner so it goes under the keeper's body. Does that mm. make sense? It happened in the Carabao Cup final when Kepa expected a better penalty yeah. went under his body. But Ajax came back into it very impressively. Neres, who's just been capped by Brazil, I think this season, mm. scored an absolute oh. beauty. The Neres goal is brilliant because it's just one small mistake by Cancelo. I think a long ball is played. Cancelo doesn't control it on the right flank and Neres is onto him oh, and then just finish. cuts inside. But it actually is so interesting about the margins for success and failure at this level. Cancelo made one mistake. They were a goal up. They were looking absolutely fine, Juventus. Not cruising, but you know. The weird thing about this was that I think Ajax should have gone ahead. That They had that Van der Beek chance. Right. Which he was stretching for, but it missed by a, a whisker. Yeah. And actually... They seem to be really in control of the game, like dominating the ball. I thought De Jong was really good. I thought De Ligt was really good. Tadic was brilliant. Neres, great. Ziyech, great. I know it's very easy to jump on a team in the Champions League that's maybe a little bit of an underdog. You know, like that great Monaco side from a few years ago. Right. 
However, I really, really enjoy watching this Ajax team. Saying that, some of the games I've seen them in the Eredivisie this season, they've not been anywhere near this level. And they've not been this fun to watch sometimes. But currently, in the Champions League, from all the teams that are left... I think then the team that excites me the most to watch. There is something sad about that. You look at you mentioned that that Monaco team. If we look again at that eleven that Jardine was coaching, it's incredible that all those players occupied the same dressing room. Mm. It's wild. But these are generational talent. Like yeah. Bernardo Silva is the best Portuguese player of his generation, and Mbappe arguably the best French player, you know, for Monaco. And you look now at Ajax. These are some of the best players of their generation for their respective countries. That's an incredible you know, group of... And the thing that I really like about the Champions League, for all its faults, and it does have many faults as a competition, I think, but you tend to occasionally get a side like that that comes through to the late stages of the knockout or even goes to the final. So the Atleti team that played Real Madrid the year that Real won the decima, yeah. that Atleti side was... Ridiculous. A really popular side to watch a lot of people really got behind that side the Borussia Dortmund side of 2013 that went to the final against Bayern incredibly exciting to watch that amazing tie against Real I think Atleti had the really they had the worst draws they had to be yeah. Bayern and Barca yeah and so by the time they got to the final they'd almost punched themselves out and yeah. then they lost Diego Costa yeah I think that was the same year or the year that after was what, that was the one he went off injured yeah right that at the was beginning. awful and that whole year they had basically been Lights out, brilliant. Yeah. And then you had Monaco from a few years ago. You yeah. had the Juve side against Barcelona in 2015. It reminds me of, the, you know, like uh, in the, this is more common in basketball when you have the March Madness, this is the fairy tale teams, the Cinderella teams. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> describing clubs like Atletico Madrid and Juventus and Ajax as, you know, Cinderella or kind of like their their minnows is... is in the con- in, no, but, but in I fact, mean, no. in the context of like... Yeah, in the context is, of yeah. resort... In the context of... I mean, look, I still believe... Maybe not Juve now. Or the, whatever, Atleti, but... the Atleti La Liga victory of 2013-14 is one of the great sporting achievements of the last 20 years. Yeah. If you consider what they went up against in terms of resources and out of this world, yeah, yeah. but as an achievement, yeah, as a coaching achievement. So it's almost... It's sad because... Ajax, and you make the great point, they're a team that may not win this year, but I feel they've defined this year. Like they are a team that you look five years later, I might not be able to tell you what the final was like or even who won the tournament, but I'll be able to tell you about watching Ajax beat Real and what that meant and how it felt in terms of a seminal moment. It felt like football changing. And it's funny, actually, when we look at football, this is one I want to mention before I go uh, onto the next sort of games, but it's funny in football how often the pivotal points in the, in the sport are not actually the finals. It's the Dutch side of 74. Right, right. Exactly. It's moments. It's particular performances. Like when Liverpool beat Nottingham Forest 5-0, right? That game, we hadn't seen that kind of football before. Mm. Or when Arsenal, I always talk about this, and Arsenal beat West Ham 4-0. They were four goals up in the first half. And Overmars and Bergkamp just did things we hadn't seen before. And then I remember United fans being scared because people were thinking, this is going to be a problem for the next 10 years and we have to deal with this. We've got yeah. to sort this out. And I think that was the Ajax rail moment. Whatever happens this year in the Champions League, I'll be very surprised if we see a moment more seminal. Well, I mean, the game finished one all. And I think that's probably a better result for Ajax than it is for Juve. Yeah. Because as we've seen, Ajax went into the home of the, what, three in a row champions, European champions, and completely played them off the park. No, no fear. And I would not expect Ajax to go there and play with any fear whatsoever. I think it's another free hit for them. You saw in the first game, in the first leg, that they can dominate Juve with the ball. And actually, I think maybe 
I wouldn't be surprised to see Ajax go through that tie. I wouldn't either, actually. I think they're absolutely entitled to feel confident. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, they could have and should have got a couple more tonight, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, should take a quick break and then wrap up the other the other games? For sure, let's do it. Right, back from the break. I have a quick question, actually. Yeah, sure. And maybe this is me taking full advantage of Michael not being here. But what does to dare is to do mean? I have no idea. There's a lot of these Latin mottos that these clubs have. And I look at some of them and go, oh, I'm not sure the Latin's actually the best. There. It's really always confused me. To dare is to do well. I mean, Spurs definitely did dare against City. And they definitely did, did. They did, did, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like Miss Yellick got my hair, did. <laughs> Yeah, Spurs winning 1-0. A deserved result. You can see the penalty early. You save it. You grind back into the game. You have a midfield performance like that from Winks, Wanyama and Sissoko. People were mocking that before the game. They were mocking that midfield. Yeah, I don't like this the, the stick well, that Sissoko gets. Really. Well, I, I get why he was criticised early on because he was poor in his first season when Spurs actually really were hoping he would be a catalyst for something much greater. He was disappointing. But this year... It's been brilliant. It's been fantastic. It felt like one of those games that any result would have maybe felt deserved. Right. Does that make sense? Right. Well, exactly. In a hard fought, well, absolutely. And that's to my point. In a hard fought game, and I think I might have said this before on a podcast, this was a game that Guardiola was fearing. Because Pochino's really smart and he can play Guardiola at his own game. He can play the high intensity. He can contain if he needs to. He can play different ways. And it was so fitting that Son should score the goal, the winning goal, because when Kane has been missing, he has stepped up time and again. That's massively. And he is uh, our Rabona Selects this week, so please check the Rabona Twitter account. He is. What a player. Rabona Mag. And I, I'm going to mention that I'm actually going to write a different piece on this um, maybe next week. But just to sort of say that it was funny, Son is so under the radar that even when he scored the winner, he wasn't trending. I was looking at all the trends. I was like, wait a minute. He scored the winning goal. Who's trending? Um, Tottenham. Kane. Guardiola, Kane, De Bruyne, we've barely been on, and Mares. Son was not trending. I was absolutely wild that that happens. Yeah. Hugo Lloris, a, a rare good moment for him in recent months. I feel quite smug about that because I actually wrote a piece saying that Lloris is that kind of player who is always a few matches away from a redemptive moment. Yeah, I mean, and we and like we said on the last podcast, players miss penalties. They do miss penalties. and. You've got to give Loris credit for that yeah, because I mean, he came up big. Not an amazing penalty, but decent no. save. Yeah. And it's funny how, I mean, it's stating the obvious, but that goal goes in really early, wasn't it? And I think and that City could just... have been a completely, completely different game. And then ironically, the goal, the Spurs goal came completely against the run of play. I mean, I thought City were much better second half, actually. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Very weird. Like, I, I mean, I've seen, there's been a lot of stuff about Guardiola's inability to win away games in the Champions League. And how are you off over that? Do you know what? I'm going to say something here. There's something about Champions League games that it's like, you know, when you're playing a computer game and if mm. you get enough, you build the kind of like the bar up enough and you get like turbo mode for 30 seconds or something. It's like football banter has hit the turbo mode. <laughs> Do you know I what just, I mean? There were so many memes flying everywhere about Guardiola overthinking tactics. The weird thing about it, one thing I will say in defense of those memes and in defense of all that banter is his away record is really bad. It I is. Mean, it like is, 11% yeah. of wins in, away, in um, 
It's like just over 11% of wins in Champions League quarterfinals, I think. It's, it's really bad. And it was like Suarez not scoring away. From, I mean, Suarez hadn't scored away from home for a long time. And, you know, if you look at the Suarez performances, take my God, Suarez was playing badly in those matches. He was. And I think that Guardiola, in away games, I wonder if it does weigh on him. If people keep, because he's someone who's sensitive to criticism. I wonder if he is thinking, actually, I've got to try this, force the pace. But also the flip side is, away games and Champions League matches are just, they're not easy to win. And part of me just thinks, well, the sensible thing is get a good result, get a draw, get out of jail, go back to your place and just batter them. Mm. I mean, like Mourinho had that whole thing. Mourinho had a whole thing where I think for eight years, Mourinho did not lose at home in a league, eight consecutive years. And Mourinho is basically like away games, draw them, don't lose them, come back to ours, beat them. He built two empires doing that. Yeah. Huge, huge cliche, but just keeping the tie. And exactly. Man City are completely in the tie. Yeah. Sorry, Spurs fans, but if Manchester City win the second leg 5 0, on paper, it's not going to look that wild. They're just that kind of team. They've struggled against some teams this season that they shouldn't have struggled against. And I'm not saying that Spurs are a side that they shouldn't have struggled against. I think, like you've said and we've said on the podcast, out of all the draws that City could have got, this is probably the one that Guardiola least wanted. Yeah. We've said it so many times. Spurs are a tough, tough side to play against, especially over two legs. And actually, I think that how Son plays in the absence of Kane, like you said, you don't want to ever lose a player like Harry Kane. But I think for the away leg, I actually think it maybe might benefit Spurs a little bit in terms of how they play. Well, you've got Lucas Moura and you've got Son. You've got Ericsson feeding them. And you've got that midfield three of Wink, Sissoko and Wanyama. That's robust. Yeah, That's not going to give you much when you're attacking them. And on the break, those players have got enough guile between them, the three midfielders, to release Ericsson and release those players in wide positions. And the great thing about that, those players, Moura and Son, is that they attack the space outside the fullback and between the fullback and the centre-back. And they can be so hard yeah. to track. They can, dis- they can dis- they disrupt They disrupt you playing out from the back. They're really... That's why Guadalupe was worried, I think, because not only do they match up well against um, City, but Guardiola, you know, Pochettino knows, he knows him, he knows what Pep's doing. Yeah. The, the absence of Kane actually gives Pep, I think, more of a headache in terms of how he's going to play that second leg, weirdly. Play right. hey, Ali as a false nine or as an out and out. Just horrible. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just, I think it throws another element of <laughs> The weird thing is, I think Pep's also really enjoying it. Oh my goodness, I'm up against it. I think he kind of loves that. Pep's like, ooh, a ooh, challenge. Happiness, yeah, exactly. A challenger enters. <laughs> <laughs> One quick thing before we move on. Yeah. On the benches, if you like, can you still call them benches in Spurs' new stadium? Cup holders. Big fan of that. Big fan of that. Yeah. Saw Poch's bo- water bottle just in the cup holder next to him on his seat, like, like in the cinema. Like the electric cinema in like Notting Hill. Like he's upgraded at the Poch Very class. The yeah, yeah, the IMAX. Actually, I, was, I was really into that. Not so fan of what was on the benches. De Bruyne, what was that about? Segway. Oh, I don't know, actually. Bit weird. Came on late. Looked actually quite dangerous. We played a couple of dangerous balls in, one or two dangerous balls in, from that sort of wide right position when he whips it in across a sort of six-yard box. City go away to Palace on Sunday, so you can't imagine he's been rested for that, I don't think, unless he's not entirely fully fit, and therefore he may start against Palace and therefore be rested again against Spurs next week. I think Guardiola just having faith in his players to get the job done. I think that was the thing. It wasn't like any sort of slight in De Bruyne. I think it was just the players on the pitch can get the job done, but maybe slightly below yeah. par. Um, Liverpool Porto yeah this, 2-0 do you know what actually I think this might be the most intriguing one in the tie 
in the in the round, sorry. I think Liverpool would be really disappointed with this result because they what two 0 up in the first twenty five minutes. Should have been out of sight. Should have been outside at half time. Never got out of sight. Porto had chances and we've seen that Porto can overturn deficits at home in the second leg of, champion, of the Champions League. I don't think this is by any means done this tie. I'll take your lead on that. I mean, it's nice for Liverpool to have Naby Keita scoring his first goal in Champions League this season. That's great for them. Uh, scored a nice team goal to make it 2-0 uh, with Firmino. But yeah, Liverpool, you'd expect, I mean, there was a lot of people expecting them to sort of like breeze through. But again, it's the old cliche, an early goal from Porto and the complexion of this changes. It's been cliche central this podcast. <laughs> it has been, but it's because that's a reflection of the football. As exhilarating as the second round was, the quarterfinal has fizzled and kind of gone to form. You're not looking at any of these results and going, oh, that's wildly unexpected. No, I mean, and actually the really good thing I think about this round is that none of them are done. There's nothing yeah, really that's, that's, that's true. That's completely decided you know if Liverpool had put four or five past Porto which they probably should have done then you'd be right pretty comfortable especially with Liverpool's defensive record this season but you know Morega could have had a couple for Porto you wonder whether playing at home that's going to kind of those might go in to just a two goal lead I mean keeping a clean sheet was key yeah obviously but yeah I'm I don't know I don't know, Porto something have, about this Porto draw. Porto nothing to lose there. Porto really... And that can be super dangerous at this stage of the Champions League. Really dangerous. You saw it with Ajax in the last round. And one thing we need to also add in as a variable, as a factor, is this is a close championship race in the Premier League. And mm. you look at Barcelona, and I think it's, it's, it's impossible to view Barca's victory over United outside the context of beating Atleti very late. In, yeah, you know, in, in a, a league, in yeah. a title decider. Let's also, like, um, let's also comprehend that. Barca were pretty much out on their feet by the end of that game. The intensity of that match. That was really to, intense. To play yeah. Atleti at full pelt and then come four days later away from home and to beat a United side who'd been rested for 10 days, I think. I and mean, to that, still control, essentially control the game. I mean, yeah, Whilst that, not being a top gear. I that's mean. an extraordinary achievement. And we're going to need to see the same kind of match control from Liverpool in their Champions League fixtures if they continue to progress, which they should do. So, I mean, this is no disrespect to Liverpool. It's just a reflection of the very high standards they set themselves this season. The 2-0 one over Porto, par for the course. Maybe a goal better would have done better, but I think Liverpool should just look for a nice conservative 1-0 well, early goal. Or just manage the game like they did away to Bayern. Yeah. They were just, Shut they, the they were never, ever really in trouble. No. That is, in its context, one of the most impressive Liverpool performances I've seen in a while. It, like you say, in context, I think it was probably their most impressive. It was a defining performance. performance of the season, it was really. defining, wasn't it? It was just with the lack of fuss that they dealt with it. It was it was really impressive. No drama, right? Like in, get the money out. You know? <laughs> like no Doom, the super villain. Well, it's funny if you if you consider what Bayern did to Dortmund, and that Liverpool did that just a few weeks before in the Champions League. You realise how impressive that performance actually is. Yeah, definitely. Was, yeah. We're recording this ahead of Arsenal's 5-0 defeat at home to Napoli. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm not feeling very confident about that game. No, you're really not. You're really not. When was the last time I felt confident about an Arsenal game? The derby? I'm oh, no, I'm never I'm confident about I'm that. Joking. I'm joking. I'm being terrible. It's difficult with Arsenal right now, isn't it? I mean, the form is... Not, not the form. The form's fairly good, but it's just the performances, isn't it? Let's not talk about Arsenal. We'll, we'll, we'll reflect sorry. on it on Monday. We will, we'll reflect we'll. on this horrendous defeat on Monday. <laughs> um... Is there anything else we need to talk about? I think we are. We're good. I think we're good. I think we're good. Okay. We're uh, good? 
Sign up my cliches. I apologise for that. But, you know, that's uh, because these games have gone pretty much the type. Yeah. Um, One thing before we do go, I've not done it for a while, but please, if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a rating and a review. Yes. Uh, It really helps us grow the podcast and it's um, greatly appreciated. Absolutely. Tell a friend, tell an enemy on all social media handles at Mag, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find us there and we will catch you very soon. On Monday. On Monday. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.